chemistry lab. <laughs> no, you did not. Okay. How was choir? It was good. Moms have it so easy. I mean, their lives are fun, simple, and and so rewarding. Sometimes I wish, instead of being the dad, I I wish I was the mom. Ah, another day of pedicures, reading my magazines, and making myself beautiful. This is the life. Mom. Mom, tell him to stop copying me. Mom, tell him to stop copying me. I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. Mom, do something. Mom, do something. Are you serious? Are you serious? Mom, are you serious? Why did I ever ask you to help me? I should have known you couldn't fix my hair. I look like a freak. Look at me. Look at me. Hey, mom. Look at this. Look at me. Come on, mom. Look at me. Watch this, mom. Come on. Look at this. Watch this. Come on, look at me. Come on, mom. Look at me. Come on, mom. Look at me. Come on. report due tomorrow and I haven't read any of this. Mom, if you don't help me, I'm going to fail school and be a loser forever. You don't expect me to read this all by myself, do you? You don't expect me to eat this, do you? Seriously, Mom, what is this? Mom, I'm not going to eat this. Dad, can we just go out to eat? Please? Hey kids, be nice to your mother. If I eat this, I'm gonna throw up. Mom, I said I'm gonna throw up. <laughs> Mom, I think I'm gonna be sick too. You're amazing. No, seriously. I don't know how you do it. I'm at a loss for words. Kids, come here. Get in here. Hug your mother. Tell her you love her. We're in the presence of greatness. Dad. Not now. Dad's on a roll. This is God's greatest creation, kids. You're smushing my face. Sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And I'm sorry. Because I don't say thank you enough. I mean, the truth is... I don't deserve you. We don't deserve you. And one day is is not enough to honor you. We we should honor you every day. But how do we say thank you to the woman that means the world to us? I know. We're going to go right now and get you that vacuum cleaner you've had your eye on. <laughs> Nothing. This time, we're going name brand, baby. Come on, kids. Let's go make your mom's dreams come true. 
You think you can relate to that a little bit? Moms? Maybe unfortunately? If anything, being a mom means you do need some mercy. And that's what we want to talk about today. So why don't you turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. We're going to get there. But uh, wouldn't you agree that everyone could use a little mercy? Amen? Everyone could use a little mercy, especially moms. Moms need more mercy, just like the rest of us do. Uh, let me let me share this with you. A small boy in, invaded the lingerie section of a large department store and, and shyly presented his problem to a woman clerk in the lingerie department. I want to buy a slip. That, that, that goes under a dress. I probably don't wear those anymore, but... Uh, a present for my mom, he said, but I don't know what size she wears. Well, is she tall or short, fat or skinny, asked the clerk. She's just perfect, beamed the small boy. So the clerk wrapped up a size 34 for him. Two days later, mom came to the store by herself and changed the slip to a size. See, sometimes moms just need a little mercy. They need a little grace, just like we all do. When a frazzled mother sent her little boy to bed, she heard him grumbling to himself. Every time she gets tired, I'm the one that ends up having to take a nap. Mothering mothering can just be, it can be hard. And yet, at the same time, moms, I want to say to you that you need to show more mercy to your families, just like all of us need to show more mercy to one another. So, It's a mutual thing, and that's what we're going to see today, is that showing mercy is a mutual thing. We need more of it, and we need to show more of it to others. So what does merciful living with one another really look like? What does it look like? Well, there's a great caption, uh, a great picture, a great caption of what showing mercy or merciful living with one another in Romans 12. So I want you to look at Romans 12, and let's read verses 9 through 21. Romans 12 9 through 21. Let's look what merciful living really looks like. Let's look at it. Verse 9. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink, for by so doing you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Father, I pray that you would give us hearts to not only understand what these commands are, but to the motivation, the power, the desire, the commitment to put them into action, that we may 
receive more mercy from one another and we may show more mercy to one another. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, out of this passage, I want to show you three truths. And and the second point's the big one since it has 12 points under it. But the two that surround that are very important. Let's look at the first truth that I see about merciful living in this passage, and it's this. Merciful living with one another is messy. It is messy. Moms, can you relate to that? Is life messy? Merciful living with one another is messy. And I want to just make two observations that's based on the structure of this text. You may not see it in the English, but the way this is... I mean, you do see it. It's just like, it's choppy, isn't it? It's all these different commands, and you're like... And that's why there's 12 points, because there's really no way to organize it in a way that, that they're, they're just there. So let, let me, let me as, as I meditated on this and, and had to do my study on it, I realized that there's application in the way this is structured. It's structured the way life is. So let me give you two points under that. It's not easily managed. Merciful living is messy because life is not easily managed. This passage in Romans has such a loose structure that it drives Bible students crazy trying to outline it, structure it. In other words, trying to manage it. You see, some say that that first command, let love be genuine, is what the whole, cha- the whole rest of the section is about. But the only problem is once you start thinking, yeah, I got a handle on this, it's all about love, then suddenly there's commands that aren't exactly explaining love and they're not about love. And you're like, well, no, maybe that's not it. And, 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 and so it, it just seems, seems uh, hard to manage. For instance, look at verses 9 through 16. Basically, they seem to appear to be about loving and showing mercy to insiders. And by that, I mean believers in our homes and in our churches. And it would appear that verses 17, that says, Repay no one evil for evil, and then goes all the way on to verse 21, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. It would seem that has to do with about showing love and mercy to outsiders, unbelievers. Well, once you think you got a handle on it, you start looking at the text a little more and you realize, wait a minute, that may not be quite so easily structured. Because let's look at it closer. Look at verses 9 through 13. 9 through 13 emphasizes one another, one another, one another. Therefore, more than likely, 9 through 13 is about insiders. But then all of a sudden you have verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. And so some commentators will say, well, wait a minute, that's about outsiders. That's about unbelievers. And then you go to verse 15 and 16, you're back to one another's. And so it's like, oh, okay, no, it's, it's, it's about insiders once again. And then you get to verse 17 through 21 and you're like, no, it's about outsiders again. Are you getting the picture? In, out, in, out. So which is it? Well, the answer is life's messy. Life is messy, and so is showing mercy to the undeserving. You see, here, here's the deal about showing mercy. Think about this. Think about life. Think about your life. Think about last week. Sometimes insiders treat you like outsiders do. Not like you have been there. And sometimes outsiders treat you better than insiders do. Been there, done that. 
And then do you know that the Bible tells us sometimes the best way to show mercy to an insider is by treating them like an outsider? I don't have time to explore that, but that's true. You you see, the bottom line in this passage is this. Show mercy to the undeserving. And sometimes the undeserving are your fellow brothers in Christ. And sometimes the undeserving are the unbelievers that you are working with. But the bottom line is we're to glorify God's mercy in Christ by merciful living towards all people. You see, life is messy. And sin often blurs the line between friend and foe and between family and enemy. And see, the reality is this. Our lives are like this passage. One time, at one moment, we're connecting with believers, and then the next moment, we're connecting with unbelievers, and then the next moment, we're back here with believers, and that's the way our life is. So I, I look at this passage, and while it may frustrate me as one who would want to outline and structure, especially coming off Romans 9 through 11, which was high, very easy. How many times did I say, boy, that, that was easy to outline? That was easy outline. As I sat and looked at that passage, I'm like, oh, isn't it cool that God's word, even in the structure of sentences and paragraphs, relates to the real world that you and I live in. This isn't pie in in, in the sky commands about showing mercy that don't relate to life. Listen, life is messy. It's not easily managed. And let me tell you this. If you take a rigid approach to showing mercy to people, it will be unmerciful and it will be impractical. That's what God is trying to remind us right here. Is that showing mercy. See, we want to take mercy and control it Outline it, structure it, and and have tight, rigid rules. I show mercy to you. I don't show mercy to you. The reason I don't show mercy to you is you don't deserve it. What's mercy? Giving people, not giving them what they do deserve. A rigid approach to showing mercy is unmerciful, and it's impractical, and it will not work. There's two major, there's one thing we can say about this. We can manage this passage in this one basic way, and that's how we're going to do it. We need to show mercy to insiders, be merciful with one another. That's what today's message is about. And then we need to be merciful with outsiders, those who are unbelievers and who persecute and are attacking. And if if you've had any awareness of this week, you realize that our culture is quickly advancing to one that is hostile to Christianity, that is opposed to Christianity like no other generation in this particular country has ever experienced. We need to prepare moms, moms. You need to prepare your sons and daughters for showing mercy to those who will persecute them for their beliefs in Jesus Christ. So that's the first thing I want you to see. It's not easily managed. The second thing I want you to know about merciful living and why it's messy is that it happens in random acts of kindness. It happens in random acts of kindness. In other words, mercy is not something that you can manage and say, today, I'm going to show mercy to this person in this way. You know, I'm, it's on my to-do list. It's on my my uh, my my you know my iPad, my my calendar, my my electronic smartphone checklist. I show mercy in this way. You can't manage it that way. The, all these commands that look so nice and tidy there in your English 
Bible are really uh, rapid-fire commands that are loosely linked together by this general idea of love and mercy. I mean, you know what's weird about these? Some of these commands don't even have verbs. Like, for instance, this first one, it says, let love be genuine. You know what that literally says in the Greek? It says, sincere love. I mean, there's not even verbs, and, and, and some of them are just phrases, and some are just participles, and some are just infinitives, and the grammar lesson will stop at that point. But I want you to know they all act like commands, but they're, they're just kind of loosely fit around, and yet this first one, let love be genuine, is like the main one that covers them all. Now, what's my point? This is what merciful living is like. It's random. It's rapid-fire opportunities to show mercy to one another that leaves an unmistakable impression, this person genuinely loves me. In other words, showing mercy happens suddenly, quickly, all of a sudden, there you are. Wow, this is an opportunity to show mercy. Unexpected. Wasn't planned for. But here it is, and I know what I need to do. You see... When you show mercy in these unexpected random acts of kindness, people will see that unconditional, genuine love in you. They'll feel it in how you treat them, and they'll remember it long after you have. So the first truth is simply this. Merciful living is messy. Now, here's the second truth, and it's the big one. And so we're going to move through it rapidly. And here it is. Truth number two. Merciful living is messy, but it makes a difference. It's messy, but it makes a difference. In other words, merciful living isn't easy, but it's worth doing. Merciful living, for those of you that are control freaks, cannot be managed, but it still makes a difference. See, some of us, personality type, we think, if I can't control it, management, manage it, and, and have it on a little you know, way that I can comprehend it, then it's not worth doing. But the reality is, listen, it's messy, but it makes a difference. And so what you have, and we're just going to look at verses 9 through 16, because this is merciful living with one another in our homes, in our church, among basically believers. We see there's 12 ways to show mercy to one another. Now, if you'll get a handle on these 12 ways, you're going to change the tone of your home. Moms. This is for you, but it's for every one of us. You want 12 practical handles by which you can make a difference. And I don't care, Mom, what age you are. Because the older your kids are, hint, hint, the more they need your mercy. And, and, and sons and daughters, which I think covers all of us. I don't care who your mom and dad is. I don't care a step, blended, bipolar, dysfunctional. I don't care who your parents are. They need more mercy. And it will make a difference if you'll show these 12 things to them. So now here's what we're going to do. Each one's worthy of its own sermon. In fact, I could probably do an eight-week series out of each of them. Yet, in many ways, these are self-explanatory. They're commands to obey. They're not really principles to explain. They're things to do. Now... I'm going to highlight some more than others. I'll explain some that could be misunderstood, and I'll drive home the application on others. So are you ready? Rapid fire. Let's do it. Twelve ways to show mercy to one, uh, one another. Number one, through sincerity. Sincerity. Let the love be real for one another. 
Let the love be real for one another. The ESV says, let love be genuine. I told you it's one phrase, sincere love or genuine love or unhypocritical love. See, there's 12 basic commands that we're going to look at, but the first one sets the tone for the rest. You want to know what genuine love is? Then you look at the, the, the rest of these 11 commands, and that fleshes it out. But let's look at this one for a little bit. First of all, almost every mention of love in the first 11 chapters of Romans has all been God loving us. Now, it's us loving others the way God has loved us. If you would trace through Romans, you would see that God has demonstrated his love for us on the cross through Christ Jesus. He's poured out his love in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. He's committed to never letting us go. Nothing will separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus in chapter 8. And we saw in 9 through 11 that God unconditionally chose to love us when we didn't deserve it. This is why Paul says, the love. In the Greek, there's a definite article there. So don't just, it's not just let love be genuine. It's let the love of God that you have received and you are going to show to others, let the love, the agape, the sacrificial, the unconditional, the, the love that's in spite of what others do, the love that's in spite of the circumstances, the love, let it be genuine. Now, this word genuine is a word we get our word hypocrite from. It, and in, in Greek, it, it, it's, it's the word hypocrite. It's, just, it's not even translated over. Hypocrite is a Greek word. And it means play actor. Play actor. A hypocrite was an actor on the stage. It wasn't a bad thing. The problem is when we take the acting on the stage and move it into the real world, then you become a hypocrite in the bad sense of the word. And let me just say this. There's no place that we Christians are greater hypocrites than how we say God loves us and then we don't love other people. There's no place that we are greater hypocrites than how quickly and glibly we say I love you and then treat each other in a way that's inconsistent with those. So let me, here's all I, I, I'll move on because I'm telling you, this is great stuff. Listen. Love, the love of God, we can fake it, and we need to stop it. The love of God, we can talk it, but we need to stop talking it and start doing it. That's what Paul is saying. Genuine. Okay, the rest are going to fill these out. We must keep moving. Number two, purity. Whoa. Oh, you're talking about that kind of love. See, here, here's what's going on in our world and within Christianity today. We mistake love for a condoning impurity and immorality. Listen, true mercy does not ignore sin. True mercy deals with sin at the cross and then extends grace and mercy to the undeserving. So notice what it says. Purity. It's in verse 9. Abhor what is evil. I have a hard time saying that word because it's got an R in it. Uh, uh, So I'll just say what it means. Hate what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Hate what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Here's how I said it. Radically reject what is evil and permanently Velcro yourself to God's best for one another. That word hold fast is the word for leave and cleave in marriage. 
And it literally was used in mint, stick-like glue. So crazy glue yourself to what is good and run like you know what from what is bad. That's, that's Listen, that's what real love is. Real love does not look at sin and say, oh, come on in, it's okay. Real love shows mercy to sinners, but shows mercy to them by pointing to the cross and saying, that's what your sin, that's what my sin cost God. That's how it's offensive to God. And yet in his mercy, he forgives that. Turn to him, turn away from that sin, turn to him, receive his love, receive his forgiveness. That's the idea. Radically reject. There's a couple great quotes in here by uh, students of the word far better than I. And, And here's what they say. Love is not genuine when it leads a person to do something evil or to avoid doing what is right. And what is right and evil is defined by God and his word. That is a great statement, but this next one's even better by John Stott. It may seem strange that the exhortation to love is followed immediately by a command to hate. Did you catch that? But we should not be surprised, for love is not the blind sentiment. It is traditionally said to be, and may I say, increasingly being defined that way within Christian culture. On the contrary, It is discerning. It is so, I love this next sentence. It is so passionately devoted to the beloved object that it hates every evil which is incompatible with his or her highest welfare. That's why you can look at someone and say, I love you. Stop doing that. Because I am so devoted to you with a godlike love that I do not want anything other than God's best for your life. Wow. Chris, you're doing good. Let's move it. You got to encourage me so I can keep moving. Actually, don't encourage me because then I stay on that point longer. So I don't know. Just just say, yeah, go, oh, yeah. Okay, number three, loyalty. Yeah, you say, man, hate the evil, crazy glue yourself, Velcro yourself to the good. Sounds pretty harsh. No, that's all right. Let's look at the next one, loyalty. Be devoted to one another like the blood-bought, born-again family that you are. Here's what it says in the ESV. Love one another with brotherly affection. The NIV, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. But I like this in the Holman Christian Standard Bible. Show family affection to one another with brotherly love. Now, what's interesting about this command is it contains two words that begin with the Greek word phileo. Now, don't get freaked out on that. You know a city with that name in it. What is it? Philadelphia. And Philadelphia put together means what? City of brotherly love. City of brotherly love. That's what phileo. We've talked about agape love, which is sacrificial, unconditional, godlike. Phileo love is the kind of love that you have in a good family, in an ideal family. It's what some of you missed out on, and yet deep in your heart, you still want. It's what some of you got a taste of, but God wants to give you a feast of it. Now, here's the idea. Phileo is brotherly love, the kind of love that's filled with family affection. Now, if you look there in in, in your notes or on the ESV or in your Bible, the first command is translated, love one another or be devoted. That word That love that he's talking about there is the kind of love that parents have for their children. It's the parental love. So he's saying, have a parental love for one another. And then he says, 
do it with brotherly affection. That word talks about the natural devotion that siblings have for one another. So this is a great, this is just a family. It's just love one another like parents do their kids and like brothers and sisters ought to. It's family devotion. It's that thing that says where you say blood runs thicker. You know what? You know, you, you, you can say what you want about anybody except my mother. You know, it's that kind of mentality. It's that, hey, you know what? He's an idiot, but he's my brother. I love him. You know, I'm going to help him out. I'm going to be there for him, even though he drives me nuts. Listen, both words were applied originally to blood relationships in the human family. But here is, God, here is Paul reapplying them to the tender, warm affection that should not unite the members of the family of God. Listen, if you're here today and you say, I, I, I wanted to be a mom and... In, in God's sovereignty, I'm not a mom, or or I wish I had a mom, but I never knew my mom. Maybe you're like me. I never know. I have yet to know my my blood mom. Maybe you had a a blood mother, and you're like, you don't want one of those. It wasn't a good experience for me. I don't know what it all is, but I know this: that in the redeemed, regenerated family of God, we ought to have that kind of parental love. And that kind of brotherly and sisterly affection and commitment that we that we, we may have missed in our families. You know what the theme song ought to be of our home and our church? It ought to be, we are family. We are family. Thank you, Roberto. Please stop. The saying goes, blood runs thicker than water, doesn't it? But the reality is, though we often fall short, Christ's blood should run thicker than our own. We ought to be able to look around here. We ought to be able to know, I've got a family that will be with me. And I have a Savior that's closer than a brother. And I have a family here at church that will stick with me when my own family abandons or attacks me. Fourth, positivity. Loyalty results in positivity toward one another. I like this one. Here's the command. Outdo one another in showing honor. And, and, and I couldn't improve on it. Outdo one another in honoring one another. Okay, this word outdo has the idea, you men, we love competition, right? We love to be the best. Well, here's what you want to be the best at in your home, guys. You be the one that shows the most honor to others. Can I hear an amen? Yeah, you guys lead the way. Moms. You want to be a better mom today? You want to leave here a better mom? Then you be the one that outdoes everybody else in the home in positivity. In positivity. Here's what the idea is. We should outdo others in shining the spotlight on the accomplishment of others. We should be the ones taking the spotlight off of me and putting, shining it on others. I should be stepping away from the mic so others can get behind the mic and say what is on their mind and, 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 and to share what is on their heart. We should go out of our ways to praise the accomplishment of others. Here's the idea. Be the one who is first in putting others first. Ronald Reagan used to have this sign sitting on his desk. There's no limit to how far you can go if you don't care who gets the credit. Here's some practical ways in your home you can do this. Let others go ahead of you in line when there's a line. Entering a room. Let others go ahead of you in entering a room. 
Uh, let others get the best seat in the living room. Every house has the best seat. You ever fought over the best seat? Yeah, well, here's an opportunity to show how to outdo honors. Uh, outdo others in, get, in letting others get the last piece of the favorite food of the family. You ever fought over the last piece? There was a slight crisis when I gave away twin scone to Amber, uh, thinking I was honoring Amber, but I realized I gave away her scone. We, we, we had a fun time. Gwen's like, she was running around the room with the box. Where's my scone? <laughs> I had my back to her, and I just kind of said, I think I gave it to Amber. <laughs> I'm, sorry. I'm sorry. I think I gave it to Amber. Mom won't mind. It's Mother's Day. She needed her scone. So, merciful living leaves no room for critical negative negativity. It's all about positivity, even when negative things can, need to be said. See, some of us don't understand that you can say negative things in a positive way. Okay? Now, here's, what's the tone in your home? Moms, more than anyone else, you set the tone in the home. Look, just, just which side of this chart do you live on? Is it tense and critical and filled with nagging? Or is it tender and caring and filled with bragging about how great your family is, how great your spouse is? Is it a place others want to run from, your kids want to run from, or is it a place you want to run to? Listen, so many times the reason your kids leave the home and then never come back is who would want to come back to a place of negativity? But listen, positivity... I always want to be around that. Is it a place that prizes others or is it a place that picks at others? Is it a home that honors what the world honors or is it a home that honors what God honors? See, this culture of ours in America with sports and celebrity and all this, we tend to honor our kids for things that isn't what God really honors. I mean, I, 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 I don't know when last time I've seen Facebook a picture of, here's my kid reading their Bible. Isn't that awesome? Or, or hey, my kid memorized another verse today. I mean, I, I, I see all the other stuff. I put that other stuff on there. I understand. But do you see what I'm saying? What are we honoring in our home? What are we honoring in our homes? Now, positivity requires intensity, number five. Positivity requires intensity. Refuse to be a spiritual sluggard in serving one another in the Lord. Okay, can I get any more practical than that? Listen to what it says. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. I like the NLT. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Now, this is another command that has two parts to it, a negative and a positive. You see, God, Paul is showing us how to be positive even when you're addressing negative things. Mom, I'm giving you $1,000 worth of advice right here. When you have to tell your kids, and you do, even adults sometimes, that they're doing something wrong, you then tell them why and what they ought to do positively. It's not just always negative. Always So Paul says, don't be lazy, but get after it. Be set on fire by the Holy Spirit. Here's the two parts. Never become a spiritual sluggard in serving the Lord. Now, is that not easy to do day in, day out, trying to, trying to live for God? Anybody ever get tired trying to live for God? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, we're only on number five, and you're already saying, I'm so overloaded and overwhelmed, I cannot do this. You're right. You What's the name of this series? By the mercies of God. And one of those mercies is you have the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit that can set you on fire 
or serving God. And that's what it means here. It means always be set on fire by the Spirit and serving the Lord. You see, he slips in this reminder that merciful living is the result of worshipful living as living sacrifices. He keeps coming back to Romans 12, 1 and 2. Now, if you have intensity, you'll have tenacity. Number six, persevere with one another through the hard times with joyful hope and persistent prayer. In verse 12, the command is this. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Three things link this, these three commands together. Hope, perseverance, and prayer. The hope is the hope of the gospel. Uh, coming to church, I heard this song. I've been loving this song. and It gets in my head, and then Amber gets mad at me because I sing it all through the house. I, I probably can't get right. Something about this is not my home. This, it's something, this is not my home. I don't belong here. Take the world, but give me Jesus. I don't belong here. I don't know if none of you are really shaking your head, but it's an awesome song. It's like a chant. Just keeps going. Just keeps going. I don't belong here. Take this world, but give me Jesus. That's the hope of the gospel. Now, when you have that kind of hope, you have a joy in spite of circumstances. And you have the ability to say, And the idea of persevering here is stay under your trial. Again, so many people, we go through trials and we bail ship on church and Jesus. All that shows is you don't have the hope of the gospel in your heart. When problems come and you avoid church, you don't have the hope of the gospel. I just, I have to say it, there it is. Persevere. And they say, how, how, I can't, it's so hard. Pray, pray. Keep on praying. Okay. I like what the president of Wheaton College would say to the students during finals week. Chin up, knees down. I like that. That's what Paul's saying. Okay. Now, hard trials, tough times can be costly. That's why number seven, we need generosity. Show mercy by generosity. Always be ready to do your part to meet one another's physical needs. The needs here are physical. Let me give you an example of showing mercy through generosity. Jonathan Shank, as you know, in our church, single man, serves faithfully in our church in several areas. Been out of commission and homebound because of operation on his on his uh, feet. But he fell, and now he's got this operation, and he's got to stay off his feet for almost a month. Well, single guy, off your feet. And, you know, he's already near starving. Now, now he's, you know, he's, it's, it's, it's critical. And really, we almost had people practically fighting over how to get food over to him. Hey, that's a great comment on this church. Amen. What a great, that's generosity, meeting the physical needs. Isn't it great when people are, 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 are like uh, elbowing each other to get in line to meet physical needs? You're supposed to say, yeah. yeah. On Easter, Richard and Katie, uh, who have been a part of his iLife group for many years now, called to see how he was doing on Easter. And when Katie heard he had just eaten a hot dog, she sprang into action. And they took over a full-blown, glottfelty, gourmet Easter meal. Now, that's merciful living in action. Always be ready to do your part. But it's not just, see, we're good. It's easy to do that with Jonathan. Friendly guy, faithful guy, longtime friend to many of us. But look at the next command, hospitality. That's love for strangers and seek to show hospitality. The word literally is that phileo word again. Have a family love for people you don't know. And here's the idea. Always be eager to open your heart and your home to one another, especially those you don't know very well. Now, when you say love for strangers in our culture, what does every kid think of? 
stranger danger, right? So we've we got to work against this. Now, first of all, this command is in the section of within the church. So we're not talking about, you know, all sorts of people come to your house. Oh, come on in. Pastor Chris said that, you know, I'm supposed to just, you know, come on, come on in. In fact, there's my daughter's room down there, you know. No, this is not what we're talking about. We're not talking about people you don't know. But let me, let me say this. Perhaps we should think about strangers, not so much in terms of people we don't know, but maybe a stranger is someone that we think, well, let me just be honest, is a little strange. Think some people are strange in your family, in our church? Jeff, you don't have to be eagerly nodding your head. <laughs> yeah, here's the idea. You want to get to know, you know, you guys, some people are a little odd, a little strange. You disconnect, maybe rub you a little. Have them in your home. You're like, you've got to be kidding. No, have them in your home and get to know them a little better. You let them get to know you a little better. Anytime you have a closer connection with people, you walk away going, you know what? I just love them more. This is a value of small groups. Here's the value of small groups. You get in these groups and you have to learn how to love irritating people. Okay? You just, you learn how to do it. You get, oh no, I want to be in a group of everybody that's like me. I want to be with my little buddies. I want to be with all my friends. I want to be with people that, that have my socioeconomic level and my interests and everything. And, there, and there's, a, there's a place for that. I'm not saying that's wrong. But I'm also saying one of the great challenges is this kind of love for people that are strange, according to us. The reality is there's a whole lot of people showing you and I mercy that we don't know. We, we think they're, you know, like, hey, they're my friends. No, they're like, you're strange, and I'm going to show you mercy and befriend you. Believe me, stay in a church long enough, and you begin, an awareness dawns on you after 20 years. I think I've been the recipient of a lot of this. Okay? Older saints tend to be, actually, can be really good at this or really bad at this. Some of them are really good. All right, let's keep moving. Pity, number nine, pity. Wish the best for one another, even when you do the worst to one another. Now, here's the 14. Here's the one that they all say, oh, this is the enemies. You know, this is the unbeliever birth. Hey, you know, here's my opinion. No, it is in the right section. Because the reality is, live in community with God's people long enough, and you will be done wrong. You will be persecuted by the faithful, by the believer. So what do you do when they do that? You bless them. You bless them. Remember, merciful living is messy. I thought believers aren't supposed to act that way. Well, yeah, they're not, but they do. What do you do? Show them mercy. Now, here's how I put this into action. Here's what I pray. When I'm taking this, bless those. How do I do that? What do I do that? Say nice things with them and then cut them down? No, no, no. Here's how you do it. Lord, here's what I pray. Lord, bless, and then I say their name. I'm not going to say them. Lord, bless, and then I say their name, and then here's what I say. Bless them so much that your blessings overflow from them to me. Lord, bless them so much that your blessings begin to overflow from them to me. It'll give you the right attitude, it'll give you the right perspective, and you'll be obedient to merciful living. Now, pity requires sensitivity, and that's number 10. Share in one another's feelings. I'm not going to dwell on this one. It's just that it's very simple. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. You say, well, that's pretty simple. You know what? You know what's harder on that? Rejoice with those who 
Because what happens when God blesses people with something that you want, but he is, he is withheld from you for your good? It's very hard. Singles, parents, couples without kids, people without a job when others have a job, people get promotions. I got laid off. Rejoice with those who rejoice. You know, my, my kids never come visit me. Their kids are always with them. Weep with those that weep. Number 11, solidarity. I almost used community, unity. I had to get the uh, computer out to find solidarity, but it worked. I love it because it fits the text. Be of one mind towards one another with one heart with one another. Now, if you look at the two verses I have for you in your notes, live in harmony with one another, be of the same mind to one another. Sounds like two totally different things. They're translating the same word. One looks at it from one direction. The other looks at it from the other. They're both right. And therefore, I said in the, in the definition, be of one mind towards one another to live with one heart with one another. Here's the idea. We have solidarity. I looked up that word. because it's, it's one of those words that if you grew up in the 80s with uh, Poland, you know, solidarity. I mean, you know what it means, but for the life of me, I couldn't define it. So I looked it up and I'm like, yeah, that's what it means. It's where a group of people think the same way about the action to take because it's in the best interest of the group. Now, that's what this is. Listen to me. If we would just take 12 commands and say, this is how I'm going to think about one another. And then what will happen is we'll have harmony and unity and community. Because no matter what opinions we have. See, it doesn't matter which president you're, well, it does matter which president you vote for, but it doesn't matter if you vote for, you know, it's not about your political party. It's not about thinking exactly. It's not about groupthink. It's not about uniformity. It's about, hey, we're going to take these 12 commands and I'm going to think that way towards you. And you think that way towards me. And you know what we're going to have? Harmoniously. Number 12. Here's the secret to it all. Humility. Never be too proud to connect or reconcile with another person. Never be too proud to reach down to someone beneath you and never be too proud to get on your knees and ask forgiveness of someone uh, that you have done wrong and don't ever be so proud that you won't reconcile with a brother or sister in Christ. That's the key. Well, here's my third truth, and I made it. Truth number three. Quickest I've ever made it through 12 points in my life. Truth number three. Truth number one. Merciful living's messy. Truth number two, it makes a difference. I, I think that God's words convince you of this. Here's number three. Merciful living is made possible by the mercies of God. So you're looking at that, and I'm looking at this, and I'm, I'm feeling the weight of it. Do you feel the weight of these 12 commands? Listen, you cannot do it, but it's made possible by the mercies of Christ. So, Dana, run up here. Run up here in your eagerness. I'm going to get this mic. And Dana's going to show us, tell us how it has made a difference in her parenting as a mom and why it was made possible by the mercies of God. Three minutes or less. Guys, okay. I've spent most of my Christian life as a legalist, and I didn't know it. All of my parenting as a legalist, and I didn't know that either. I was confronted with the gospel every week at church, small group, in my own quiet time when I would do it. But I heard it through the prism of my own legalistic heart. I would go home, and I'd try to do better. I wanted to do it right for the Lord. 
But every morning I would fail and sometimes even forget to try, and so did my children. God was still being gracious to me. I was learning and growing. But to be honest, I was depressed, consumed by guilt, and hopeless that I would ever run this race with endurance. But in the last year or so, God has opened my eyes to the gospel. All of us know it. The gospel that saved us from our sins, that gave us eternal life. But this time, he showed me the power of the gospel for today. Today's sanctification, today's security, today's acceptance, reputation, and pleasure. An understanding of the sovereignty of God has shown me how big he is. I can rest in him. He is doing the work in me. Instead of leaving the gospel behind at my salvation, I can cling to it today. I no longer carry the burden. Now, how does this have anything to do with me showing mercy to my children? It has turned my parenting on its head. Before, my focus was simply on the behavior. Don't do bad things. Do good things. If they stole something, I tell them it was wrong and maybe even show them a verse or a lot of verses that said it was wrong. I explained how it hurt others, damaged our family's reputation, and could keep people from seeing Jesus in them. I told them the Bible commanded us to do good and give instead of take. They needed to repent and never do it again. And I would think to myself, man, I nailed that. But being gospel-focused removes the guilt and duty and gives my kids a chance to be amazed by who God is. I can take them beyond behavior repentance. It is absolutely important that they admit that stealing is wrong, that they know that the Bible calls them to repent and turn from that sin. But it does not stop there. I can point them to the root of their sin. Behind their sinful behavior is disbelief in Christ's sufficiency. When they stole, they were telling God, They didn't think he could or would provide for them. They took their security into their own hands. This is where the Bible shifts from law to life. God owns everything. He's a loving God. He gives good gifts. He's in control. He's trustworthy. And his grace gives them the power to rely on him and obey. Now I can encourage them with the rest of the good news. I love you. God loves you. You are clean forgiven. You don't have to feel ashamed. You're free. God has sovereign control over that you becoming like him. You don't have to try harder. What you need to do is run to Jesus. Before clinging to the gospel for my parenting, I felt shame about my children's sin, and it added my fear that I was not doing it right, and they would never fully surrender their lives to Jesus. But now when they sin, it's opportunity. For me to teach them about what God has done and about his character to confront them with the gospel. Is my life still a mess? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) But I do not walk in constant shame anymore. The gospel has freed me from the guilt of my sin and yet propels me to obedience when I place my trust in it. Galatians 5.1 says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. By the blood of Jesus, I am free today, and by his grace, I can be a catalyst in my children's freedom. Give glory to God. And that, that's his last point. Listen, merciful living is made possible by the mercies of God to us in Christ. And I have two points and two statements I want to make. It's only possible. It's only possible by the mercies of God. In Christ. 
You can, I can live out these 12 ways of merciful living, but we can only do it by the mercies of God in Christ. You just heard a testimony to that. But let me say end and give the last word to the glory of God. It's the, its ultimate purpose is to glorify God's mercy in Christ. Don't forget that all of Romans 12 through 15 climaxes with Romans 15, which says this, For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised. He humbled himself. He, 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 he entered into merciful living through the incarnation to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs, to confirm God keeps his promises, and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. Here's what I've hung on. Here, here's the truth that I learned. Here's what I'm trying to communicate in these four weeks, and it's this. We are to glorify God's mercy in Christ by how we live with mercy. Glorify God's mercy to me in Christ by showing mercy, His kind of mercy, to others. That's worshipful living that results in merciful living to the glory of God. Now, it's, here's my point. Merciful living is messy, but it makes a difference when motivated by the mercies of God. Now, here's your, here's your application. You have three options. Pick three. Pick the three you are weakest at and reflect on, on how God has shown you mercy in those areas that you are weak in. Then glorify God's mercy to you in Christ by working at showing the same kind of mercy to others. So don't get overwhelmed. Pick three. Here's a summer project. There's 12 of these. Guess what? I checked. There's 13 weeks in June, July, August. So you have one week to ramp up. Take one for each week of this summer. Maybe memorize it. Maybe just meditate on it. Maybe study it out. Maybe uh, talk about it with your family, but take one a week. There's your summer project. Don't be a spiritual sluggard this summer. Third, make it personal. If all that's too much, then just make it personal. And actually, we should all do this one. Ask the Lord to lay on your heart two or three people in your home or in our church that really need more mercy from you. I said more mercy from you. And then pray for them and think through which of the 12 ways you need to show them more mercy by the mercies of God in Christ. Moms, I love you. I value you. God loves you. God values you. Be a merciful mom by the mercy of God. Let's pray. Father, we come and we know that regardless of parenting, you're the perfect father. And you're the perfect father because... Every good gift comes down from you. And you have shown us all so much mercy in Christ Jesus that it's ridiculous. And we can't even comprehend it. And we get a glimpse of it and we're overwhelmed. And all we're seeing is a glimpse of it. Lord, I thank you for your mercy you've shown to us. I thank you for the mercy you've shown to, to Dana to sit in my office and listen to her say, I have been set free. My depression has lifted. I'm entering into a new understanding of my Lord and my Savior, my salvation. It's a work of grace for which we give you glory. I pray that more of us will be set free. I pray more of us 
will comprehend by the mercies of God just how merciful you are and just how merciful we should be, ought to be, must be, and yes, can be to one another. Bless our moms, some in heaven, some suffering eternal torment in hell. It's a reality. We face it. But over it all, your sovereign mercy. And Lord, may we be gospel proclaimers of your mercy to all people, beginning with one another in our home, our church. In Jesus' name we pray. 